0: Dear friends in Jesus Christ, we continue the Holy Week journey. Today is sermon number two of 14 sermons that are based on this booklet, The Holy Week Journey. I hope you're reading each day and getting something out of it, and then the idea is to gather with us here, and then to go into it even further and benefit even more. Giving you a quick review of part one in this series, we were on Palm Sunday. So first of all, we looked at something that actually happened very early on Palm Sunday, but for us, we would call that Saturday night. That is when Jesus was in Bethany and he was anointed with a very expensive perfume in preparation for his burial. Think about it, within less than a week of that anointing, he would be dead. And then, also, in our first part, on Sunday morning then, that is when he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So warmly welcomed. It's such a contrast, isn't it, that we come then to Friday of Holy Week and the people are shouting, Crucify him! What a sharp, sharp contrast. I tried to give you a little bit of a better idea why maybe that was the case in the sermon last weekend. Today we're in part two, so we are on Holy Monday, and Jesus, we're going to see, curses a tree, and then after that, he went to the temple and he took radical action in order to remove the evil practices from the temple. And then we come to Tuesday morning already, Tuesday morning of Holy Week. That's where they walk by the tree that he cursed. They see it is withered. And then Jesus teaches his disciples how to move a mountain. Did you catch that in the readings that you did on how to move a mountain? I hope that you did some really important, powerful stuff. We're going to come to that today. Well, first of all, we come to day number three in the booklet, Jesus Curses the Fig Tree. We're in Mark chapter 11, picking up in verse 12, and the Bible says, On the next day, so that would be Monday morning of Holy Week, when they had left Bethany. So apparently, they left without eating breakfast, and they were there staying overnight in Bethany. So when they left, the Bible says Jesus became Hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, He said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening, the Bible says. Well, on the surface, what do we have going on here? Jesus was hungry, and he expected to find something to eat on a fig tree with leaves. But he found nothing. Now, I did get into that a little bit more in the booklet. I talked about how there should have been figs, even though it wasn't quite the season. There should have either been some left over from the previous season that didn't get picked, or there should have been some new ones forming. So it wasn't quite the ideal season yet, but there should have been some figs there. So understand it in that way. What is the deeper meaning here? What does he really want us to understand? The deeper meaning is that the fruitless fig tree, in other words, a tree that should have had fruit it had the leaves. It should have had the fruit. So the fruitless fig tree pointed to the faithless people of Israel. So they looked good from a distance. Here they were going to the temple, going through the motions, offering the sacrifices, saying their prayers, putting money into the treasury. And yet, when you take a closer look at them, they had no fruit. They were like the fruitless Fig tree. That's what's going on here. Jesus wrote to the pastor of the church in Sardis. So at the beginning of Revelation, we have the seven letters to the seven churches, and each one is written to the pastor of that congregation. So Jesus wrote to the pastor of the church in Sardis, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are Dead. Now he's saying that to the pastor. What was going on with the religious leaders in Jesus' day? They were giving the impression that they were alive, they were serving God, they were working in the temple, they were teaching the people, and yet they were dead. When you have pastors who are spiritually dead, obviously they're going to have no awareness of whether or not their church members are dead. We have so many churches like that today, don't we? We have about a billion so-called Christians in the world and their official teaching on the way to heaven is to do good things and have some knowledge about Jesus. And they're saying, That is the way to heaven. So the church leaders are believing that and teaching that. You have a billion people who are hearing that. So what do you have? Apart from some exceptions, we can say those billion so-called Christians are on their way to hell because you have dead leaders leading dead people. It kind of looks good, oh yeah, Imagine how wonderful the temple was if we could have seen it back in the day, but yet it's not good at all. So what about us, though? God wants us to know when we really have that gift of saving faith in Jesus, what are we going to have? We're going to have the fruit that is the evidence of that saving faith. Imagine if we had an apple tree right here, and it was the season for apples. If we looked at the tree, and it had no fruit on it, we would know something is seriously wrong with that tree. When we look at people who claim to be Christian, and they have no Christian fruit, we should know there's something very seriously wrong. Now, we have to be careful on that. So many people are trying to force fruit, and they're trusting in the fruit. They're not thinking about Jesus. They're trying to do good and somehow think, well, look at all the good I'm doing. I must be okay. That's not the way to heaven either. We should have total confidence in Jesus. And when we do by the grace of God, the fruit will come naturally. May God grant that to us all. Let's go on to the cleansing of the temple here. We're picking up in Mark chapter 11, verse 15. The Bible says, then as they continued walking. So here they are walking from Bethany to Jerusalem. So they come across the tree. Jesus curses the tree. Now they're continuing to walk. And the Bible tells us they came to Jerusalem. And Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves and he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple and he began to teach and say to them is it not written my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations but you have made it a robber's den so he said it would be a house of prayer for all the nations it's a little bit hard to see this image from where you're sitting i suppose but you can see where we have the building and in the building That is where the Jewish men and the Jewish women and children, they could gather in the building. That was a sacred space and they could call out to God in prayer. What about the bigger area there to the south of the building? That is the court of the Gentiles. That is where Jesus was driving the people out. You had this money changing going on. You had this selling of animals and it was all being done in a dishonest way it was being done to charge these ridiculous prices and to rob from the people in order to force them to use certain money and to use certain animals this is what Jesus is getting at here as we look at it so in the temple proper yeah things were okay outside the temple in the court of the Gentiles things were not good so Jesus saw it And even from the Old Testament reading I read earlier, it said that it's for all people. They had excluded everyone except the Jews. They made it into a market where all the different nations should have been able to gather there in the court of the Gentiles. What does the word Gentile mean? That means nations. It's the court of nations. All the people from the world were supposed to be able to gather there and be able to call out to their God. And yet they couldn't because of the deadness of the leaders, their unwillingness to understand and apply the Old Testament scriptures. So Jesus took radical action. What about us here at Bethlehem? Are we doing some things maybe that are not pleasing to God? If you know of anything like that, Please let me know. We want to proceed in ways that are truly going to honor our great God, things that are going to be in line with God's holy word, and things that are going to be truly, spiritually, eternally beneficial to all the people who gather here with us. Continuing in the reading here, we go to verse 18 now. The chief priests and the scribes heard this. In other words, they heard what Jesus said had said and began seeking how to destroy him for they were afraid of him for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching when evening came they would go out of the city so i want to talk here for a moment about the rage of the jewish leaders this is just such such foolishness so on the very day that jesus raised lazarus from the dead Think about the greatness of that miracle. Here is Lazarus, dead for four days, and Jesus raises him to life. Isn't that like taking away every possible doubt that anyone could have had as to whether or not he was the Messiah? What does the Bible say regarding that event? It says the Jewish leaders from that day on planned to kill him. From that day on, that should have been the straw that broke their unbelief. And yet, in in the opposite way, it was a straw that said, now we know that we must put that man to death. That is such spiritual blindness. That is such a rejection of God the Holy Spirit. And yet, we live in that kind of a world today. Well, here then, on Holy Monday, when Jesus did what he did, they were so enraged that they said, we must seek out how we can destroy him. So we had their decision to kill him, and now they are so upset, now we must destroy him. So we have even a stronger word here. Let's understand, the truth is always good. Jesus was telling the truth. The truth sets us free from sin and death. But what is the problem today, though? What was the problem back then? Many people hate the truth. It's all about the truth. May God help us to always love it, to embrace it, to understand it, to Apply it in our lives these are such important things and then at the end of this section here It said they went out of the city. So thinking about the map here Most likely they went back out to Bethany They probably stayed overnight again at the home of Lazarus Mary and Martha a couple miles from the city And then they were able to easily return the next day to Jerusalem Finally, we come to day five here. So we have the lesson of the withered fig tree. Now, the tree was probably withered on Monday evening, but maybe they walked by it when it was getting dark. Maybe they walked by it and they were so, they were so like had their minds filled with what Jesus had done in the temple with the whip and driving out all those people that they didn't even see the tree. We don't quite know how to put that all together. But the text tells us here, though, picking up in verse 20, as they were passing by in the morning, this would be now on Tuesday of Holy Week, in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. This is so unusual, from the roots up. Generally, when a tree is dying, it is dying from the top down but this tree was withered from the roots up. I think what Jesus was trying to do here is he was trying to say this tree is a hypocrite. The tree being in full leaf is trying to give the impression I am a healthy, fruitful tree and yet it had no fruit. So Jesus, by causing the tree to wither, because he cursed the tree he was exposing the hypocrisy of the tree he was saying i'm not going to let you give the impression that you're a fruitful tree when in fact you have no fruit so he cursed it and it withered from the roots up and then what was he doing in the temple in a sense he was saying you religious leaders Because you are doing all of this buying and selling and money changing right here Where all people in the whole world are supposed to be able to gather and call upon God? Because you are doing that you are being hypocrites and I'm going to expose you by driving these people out of that area I hope you can see how that all fits together in a really important way and then picking up in verse 21 Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he is saying is going to happen, it will be granted him therefore I say to you all things for which you pray and ask believe that you have received them and they will be granted you really what Jesus is doing here is he's going beyond the whole topic of hypocrisy and now he's talking about trust in God and about the power of prayer so that's the direction he's going in Uh, When he cursed the tree he was calling upon God his father and what he said happened because he had total faith in God the Father and he's trying to say to his disciples you guys can do what I did and more when you are rightly trusting in God our Father and then he said in verse 25 and following whenever you stand praying Forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. First of all, um, amazed at the withered tree. So Jesus cursed it on Monday morning, and then they notice on Tuesday morning, it is withered. So Jesus, again, he wasn't talking now about hypocrisy, but now he jumps over to the power of prayer. So a key ingredient of prayer, that is complete trust in God. Think about this quote by Dr. Kretzmann. He explained the confidence must be absolute, unqualified, not tinged by the slightest doubt. I suppose we could conclude that all of us are living with some doubt I mean here we are fallen creatures living in a fallen world God has given us that gift of faith by which we are trusting in Jesus that's wonderful we have forgiveness in eternal life and yet when we think about what we pray is everything happening That we pray well I can't say yes to that do I want that to be the case is there somehow some way I could have like a greater faith in God a more complete faith in God how does that happen that does happen I believe as we are in the Bible in a serious way but then you must combine that though with taking what the Bible says And stepping out in faith and putting the Bible into practice so what am I talking about I'm talking about a form of spiritual exercise so when I think about doing exercising I've been doing a little bit myself and I don't have a lot of capacity with breathing so I was in a situation where uh, we went to this little place where we could walk or run and um, early on going there uh, about a month or so ago I think I could I could run about halfway around the track and I was pretty winded and then I started walking well after a couple of weeks I could run all the way around the track one time before I got winded and had to start walking and now I'm up to about two and a half laps before I get winded and start walking so in other words as I force my body to do more my body is responding thankfully and And it's getting a little bit healthier a little bit stronger well how does that work spiritually it works by getting into the Bible looking at what it says and putting it into practice now is my body screaming stop stop I want to breathe it was but I had to push it a little bit in order to get more What is God saying? You've got to push it. You have to step out in faith. You have to do things that are unexpected, and God will build up our faith. Are we ever going to have the faith of Jesus? Uh, I think we could say we're not. At the same time, though, he wants to grow our faith in God our Father, and that's going to be a blessing to us in many ways, and God will use us to be a greater blessing to others. So it's definitely a win-win kind of a thing. But he mentioned one other thing here, and that would be the key hindrance of prayer. What is that? That is refusal to forgive. I want to share here a quote from Dr. Kretzmann on this topic. It's a little bit longer quote. He wrote, There cannot be in the heart of a praying person hostility hatred anger ill will or any other unfriendly feeling which is different than the demand of God that a forgiving spirit must dominate our actions no matter whether Christians have been wronged with or without reason whether they feel hurt Rightfully or wrongfully, their hearts must be filled with forgiveness toward all men or toward all people. Forgiveness is so vital. You've heard me preach on it a number of times here. I put the diagram there as a reminder about the importance of forgiveness comes freely and fully from God to us. Through Jesus. Because forgiveness has come freely and fully to us, it is vital that forgiveness flows freely and fully from us to all others who have sinned against us. Now, don't forget this difference. When forgiveness comes from God to us, that is God's forgiveness, that is a forgiveness that saves our souls. When forgiveness goes from us to others, that's not God's forgiveness, that is our forgiveness. That doesn't save their souls. If someone did something horrible to us, and let's say they're not even sorry, should we forgive them? Oh, by all means. Why should we forgive them? Not because they deserve it, not because they're sorry. We should forgive them because God has forgiven us. And Jesus is saying, if we refuse to forgive them, then God will stop forgiving us. We don't like that, do we? There are certain people that can give us a difficult time. We can maybe dislike certain people. We can hate certain people, and we don't want to forgive them. For the Christian, that is not an option. Jesus is saying if you want to keep getting God's forgiveness coming to you it is essential that you continue to extend your own free and full forgiveness to all other people Now sometimes people say oh if I do that pastor he's going to get away with it That's not true All you're doing is keeping the forgiveness flowing from God to you. When you extend forgiveness there, that guy over there, he still needs forgiveness from God to him. So he hasn't gotten away with anything. But we are doing what God has called us to do. These are such important things. May God help us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, the great deceiver is great, but you are greater. Grant us spiritual eyes. Grant us saving faith. And grant us the evidence of fruit. We also ask for unwavering trust in you, and we also ask for a free-flowing of forgiveness from us to others. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.